Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. We're going to be in two different places this morning in the scriptures. So if you have a regular paper Bible and you want to go to both places, that's good. It's going to be Luke 6 first, and then secondly, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So Luke 6 and Matthew chapter 18. By the way, just a real quick... um, announcement kind of thing or maybe just something for you to think about when we were we always pray for the kids during you know we usually do two songs and then we take time we pray for our grace kids that are in the room and then they go to their classes by the way if you're ever out in the hallway when we let them go be careful because they go in that hallway and they're like sprinting up that hall it's just a matter of time before we have a, a major accident in the hallway but they're i mean it's great they're excited i was looking at dagan during prayer she's like ready to go she's like it's like get let me out of here i want to get to my class which i just love that but i had this thought this morning as we were praying for them i i know it, like anything in church it can just become a like a routine we just do it because that's what we do we just pray when we do that i just want to invite you I invite you let make that a really intentional moment of intercession i'm not trying to be dramatic but there is there is and i'm not being dramatic i'm not even overstating this there is an all-out war for children spiritual war and so when we just take those few moments and we focus our attention on praying for the next gen in our church and praying that they would follow Christ and praying that, like we pray, often pray, Lord, may they get something more of you today. May they just be that much closer to you today as they move into the next part of their life. We, that's the serious stuff. That needs to happen. And you're playing a part in that when you intercede. So take that seriously. I'm not suggesting that you're not, but it's just easy to fall into it. Yes, Lord, bless the kids. Okay, get out of here. You know, but that's not what we're doing. We're really speaking life into them and over them as they go to their class. So this series of messages is called Breakthrough, and we're, and we're talking about how God gets us moving forward when we get stuck, and we're looking specifically at two different ways he does that. He does that through our finances, and he does that through forgiveness, and of course he does it in other ways as well, but those are the ones that we're focusing on in this series, and it comes out of that, that passage in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20, where David says after the Philistines are defeated, he says, the Lord has um, broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. That's what we want to see happen, that God breaks through on our behalf. He moves us forward. We begin to grow again. We begin to get new fruit. We begin to get new maturity. That's what we're after here during this series of messages. And I mentioned early on that, that there in, this, in the scriptures, especially in the gospels, finances and forgiveness are intertwined. Even the stories are often intertwined. And that is true of both passages we're going to look at this morning. So let's start in Luke chapter 6. We looked at this last week briefly, Luke chapter 6. We looked at it from the standpoint of finances. This morning, I want, to look, I want to look at it together with you and see both the financial part and the forgiveness part. It says this in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Jesus says this. He says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Really simple concept. 
That, that when we forgive, we are forgiven. Just like when we give, we, get, we receive back again. It is given to us. Forgiveness, finances. Two verses right next to each other. And the concept, according to the back part of verse 36, is the more you give, if you give a lot, you receive a lot. If you give a little, you only receive a little. And that is true both in giving and forgiving. We desire to be both generous givers and generous for givers. I hadn't even thought about that before. Those two words even sound alike. Generous, I know, it takes very little to make me amused. Generous givers and generous forgivers. Turn to the person next to you and say, we want to be generous in everything. Noble, you're supposed to turn to him and say that. Be generous in everything. Forgiveness and generous in generosity with our finances as well. So here's, here's the idea that I want to present to you this morning. If it's true, and we know that it is, if it's true that when you forgive, you are forgiven, would it also not be true that if you didn't forgive, that you, didn't, that you wouldn't be forgiven? Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Not forgive and you will not be forgiven. It says in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus is um, teaching his disciples to pray, this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, the way he wrote it down, it says this, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Amen, right? Okay, let's try it again. I'll pretend like I hadn't said that. You get ready with the amen, okay? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Amen? amen? Right. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That is less of an amen moment, isn't it? It's like, we want to be forgiven. Amen. As we forgive others. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. And the, what I want you to see is that there's an unmistakable connection between receiving forgiveness from God and giving forgiveness to other people. Salvation is not a solitary agreement or arrangement between God and us. That I receive forgiveness and I just hold all that forgiveness in. But rather, as I receive vertically from God, I give horizontally to other people. And that those two things are, are, are connected. You can't pull them apart. It's impossible to pull them apart. Forgive us, for we forgive everyone indebted to us. We're not just restored to Jesus so that we're good vertically. We're also restored in Jesus so that we can be good with other people horizontally. The two sides can't be separated. And both of these sides, both sides of that coin are key to breakthrough. Forgiveness is like the sweet spot of spiritual breakthrough and maturity. You will not find people who are spiritually mature, who do not live in an, with an increasing sense of their own need to walk in grace and forgiveness with other people. I would even say it this way, to the degree that we are aware of our own need for forgiveness, we give that forgiveness to other people. And to that degree that we're aware of it, we are growing and maturing. We get unstuck. It's that big of a deal. Now look with me at Matthew chapter 18. I had said that I was going to try to confine this whole series to Luke, but Luke does not include this particular parable. And in my opinion, this is the best parable in the scriptures having to show, that has to show the relationship between the vertical and the horizontal forgiveness. Now, it's rather long, and I'm going to read it to you this morning because I want it to be fresh in your hearing. Um, as a matter of fact, if you've heard it, and many of you have heard it hundreds, if not more than that, times, just let this morning be the first time you've heard it again. And if it helps to just listen, just listen. It helps to read along on the screen, read along on the screen. But let me read it to you. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Starting in verse 23, Jesus says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is not a hard parable to understand. It's stunningly easy to get the point but it's very very cutting it it gets us at a deep place inside of our hearts it touches us in a deep place jesus says this is what the kingdom is like we have to remember that when whenever we are reading the scriptures and jesus starts talking about the kingdom i i give you permission as a matter of fact i encourage you you should say to yourself this is the way my life is supposed to look this is how i'm supposed to relate to the world We do not relate to the world as citizens of a particular country. We relate to the world as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so when there's a teaching like this, this is a reality. These are principles that are in play constantly in God's kingdom. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. And then he says there's a servant. We're going to call him servant number one. Servant number one owes a bunch of money to the king. He owes 10,000 talents. Now, some of your translations may explain what that is in dollars. My translation, my copy of the scriptures did not. So I did the math. And I had Jack and David check my math. So it, and they are wonderful mathematicians, so I think I'm right. But if I'm wrong, tell me later. Don't interrupt me right now. But here's the math. A talent is 20 years of wages for a common laborer. I went on the Internet, so it's definitely true. I went on the Internet, and I found that in Missouri right now that the minimum wage for 2022 is $11.15 per hour. So to make it real for us right now, what we're talking about, 10,000 talents, it's this, this is the math. It's $11.15 an hour times 40 hours is $446 a week. $446 a week times 52 weeks in a year is $23,192. Times 20 years for the one talent is $463,840. That's a lot of money. But servant number one owed 10,000 talents. So if you take that $463,000 number and you times it by um, 20 years, you add, I'm sorry, 10,000 talents, I can't even do the math now, 10,000 talents, you end up with $4,638,400,000. billion. I can't even talk this morning, $4,638,400,000. In layman's terms, that's a lot. Turn to the person next to you and say, that is a lot. From now on, I'll be saying 4.64 billion, because I can remember that one more easily. So this guy, I mean, it's not even, 
understand the extremes are in the, in the story on purpose. It's, it's made to be absurd. This guy owes $4.64 billion. How you end up owing anybody that much money, I don't know. But he, I mean, he, he had a really high credit limit, and he was just like, swipe, swipe, swipe. Now, I, mean, I don't know how he did it, but he just went hog wild. And at the end of the day, you know, he kind of came out of the super and was like, I owe what? You know, it was a really big Christmas. I don't know, but they just went really, really hard. So he says, I know I owe you 400 and, or, I'm sorry, $4 billion, $600 million. I know you owe this huge amount of money. Be patient with me, and I will pay you all. Now, the math on that is, if he worked every day, five days a week, at 11.15 an hour, 40 hours a week, and he, and he took all of the money, he didn't eat anything, he didn't go out to, you know, he didn't stop by Sonic on the way home for the half price drinks, he didn't do any of that stuff for 200,000 years, then he could pay that off. That's the math. <laughs> He just had to really work. I mean, maybe some overtime, it'd be 190,000 years, but whatever. He had a lot of work to do. But he says, hey, I, I will pay you all. Please have patience with me. The point is, it's an impossible debt. And the master, the king, knows that and says, no, absolutely not. I'm, I, I'm wiping the debt clean. I'm letting you off scot-free. You can walk out of this room and not owe me the $4.64 billion that you actually owe me. Can you imagine, just for a second, just imagine what that would feel like. Like, I've had people give me gifts or forgive a debt, you know. Not anything like four. I mean, I had a one billion one time, but nothing like four billion. I mean, could you just imagine what that would feel like? I mean, the, you know, when you're, under, uh, when you're under a financial burden, it feels like weight, doesn't it? It feels on your shoulders. Like, when you, when you can't pay the bills, when there's too many bills and not enough paycheck, it's an uncomfortable feeling. This guy had that in, like, you know, exponentially. And he is all of a sudden set free. He's allowed to just walk out of the king's presence. I don't owe anybody anything. I am absolutely, gloriously, 100% debt-free. I don't, I'm, I'm just joyful, peace-filled. I am on top of the world. That's what it would feel like. I, I can't imagine that level in terms of the finances of it. And he walks out, according to the text, verse 28, he walks out, I don't know how it worked, but he walks out of the king's chambers, out into the street. Ah, it feels so good. And he sees this person that owes him some money. And he immediately goes to that person and tries to get them to pay. And it says specifically, he starts to choke him. Now, let's do the math on that. 100 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. $11.15 an hour, 8 hours, $89.20 times 100 days, $8,900. I'll say $9,000 to make it easy. He just got forgiven $4.64 billion. He walks out into the street. He sees the guy that owes him nine grand, goes up to him and starts to choke him. If you look in the text, what servant number two says is almost identical language-wise to what servant number one said to the king. Have patience and I will pay you all. Except servant number one doesn't have any patience. He doesn't have any grace. doesn't give any forgiveness. It says in the text, he immediately sends him to jail until he can pay back what is owed to him, which is an interesting dy dynamic as well. He is sent to a place where he cannot earn money until he can pay back what he owes of course, other servants see that. They tell, they tattle, which is good in this case. They tell the master. The master brings the first servant back in, confronts him, rebukes him, punishes him, basically puts the debt back on him, sends him to prison, literally forever. Verse 35. This is underlinable. If you underline things in your Bible or highlight them in your app, Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I said a minute ago that this is an easy parable to understand. It really is. 
The sobering thing about this parable is that it's told for all of us, and it's told for all of us so that we would not be servant number one. So that we would look at it and understand that God has given us, in his grace and forgiveness, our sin debt that we could never pay ourselves, that is, that is far beyond even the $4.64 billion. In a sin sense, it's more than that. We could have never done it ourselves. He has wiped that away and not just removed it, but placed it on his son. Now, if you're here this morning and you'll be thinking, and I, I, don't, I don't, but turn to the person next to you and say, he really doesn't think this about you. He doesn't, yeah, he really doesn't think this about you. Man, I don't think this about you. But some people that go to other churches might think this. I'm, I don't really sin that much. I mean, not, not like that much. I don't really sin like that. Let me do my best to make you feel this morning a fresh sense of appreciation about your sinfulness. You were born. And you were born into sin. And so you were born as this little baby. And immediately, because of our our. our forefather and foremother Adam and Eve, we were born already separated from God, already in a position of rebellion against God. But think about that for just a little bit. Who here has ever held a brand new baby, fresh little baby? Fresh? I guess they're fresh, yeah. Not spoiled yet, I don't know. <laughs> this came out. They smell good, don't they? They got that baby smell. So you're holding that fresh little baby, right? And you can look right down in that baby's face and say, oh, you little sinner. Because already at the very beginning, they're already, I mean, don't tell me that babies don't know the deal, you know? They just, when they want something, what do they, excuse me? No, they just let loose because it's all about them. From the very beginning, it is all about us. And that little baby from the very beginning is already in alienation. He's already separated. She's already separated from God. And from that point all the way through to this point, if we're talking about you or me, we have been in defiance and separation from God. Think of it this way. Every thought, every motive, every word, and every action of your entire life that was not completely and entirely pure. See, the standard is not not that bad. We like to say that. Like, I watched this movie. Would you recommend it? Well, it wasn't that bad. That's not the standard. The standard is perfection. It's purity. So anything that we ever do that's not completely pure adds to the sin debt. And here's the other thing. This is really bad. Anything that we were supposed to do, that God was leading us to do, that the Spirit was prompting us to do, any word, motive, action, or thought that was, that was righteous that we did not engage in, that is also adding to the sin debt. And so constantly, you ever look at like the population clock online where it's just constantly rolling forward? It's like that. It's constantly rolling. I would even say this. Some of you, this is going to shock you, some of you have been sinning since you've been in church this morning. Oh, seriously, think about it. Some of you are like, I, I, no, I didn't do anything, you know. It's true. Anybody here, don't raise your hand. Look at somebody else and say, my gosh, I can't believe she's here today. Or I am so frustrated with my spouse right now, and you're just, I, I know this is just Susan and I, but most people, like, you know, you're just looking at your, your spouse, and you're just like, I'm just not feeling it today. Or, gosh, I wish the worship would get over. I wonder when the service is going to end. I'm hungry. Whatever number of things that have gone through your mind that have not been 100, what's the standard? What's the standard? Purity, perfection, right? Anything that you've been thinking or motives or saying or doing since you've been here that wasn't 100% pure has been sin. Would anybody like to raise their hand and say, I've sinned since I've been at church today? You all better all have your hands up. <laughs> Because we all do. 
And it's that world clock. It's constantly going. We have this amazingly big sin debt. And God, like I said earlier, God doesn't just, oh, he doesn't just say to us, oh, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Get on out of here. You're good. God never defaults on the sin debt, ever. He always puts it on his son. Every single time, it's back on Jesus. So don't think for a second God doesn't think your sin matters. He thinks it matters a tremendous amount. And he continues to place it on his son, who was perfect. The one who was perfect took all of that stuff. So that's how he can say to us, hey, go ahead and get out of here. Go ahead and get out of here. You're free. You're free because someone else was a slave. You're redeemed because someone else was, became a slave for you. You're pure because someone else became dirty. Jesus. It's amazing. The Father never allows the sin debt to default. He always shifts it to Jesus. So we have this moment with him where he shifts all of our sin, this scrolling, constantly accumulating debt of sin, this record of wrongs. It's constantly being put on Jesus, and we are able to walk out of God's presence, metaphorically, and say, I just lost $4.64 billion worth of sin off of my shoulders. I feel terrific. I'm free. But, unbelievably, unimaginably, unthinkably, we have the capacity to walk out of the presence of God where we've been forgiven this debt that we could never pay on our own and look at someone else and say, they owe me nine grand. They owe me. I want to show you a number. Guys, if you put that up there, I don't even know how to say this number, but it's a zero point. It's nine zeros and then two, one, five, five, nine, two percent. That is the percent, that is the percentage that $8,920 is out of the $4.64 billion. I don't even know how to say that word. I mean, I wouldn't begin to try. That's how small, by comparison, someone owing me nine grand is to what God has forgiven me of. And yet, we're pretty stubborn. And yet, we have a capacity to walk out of God's presence and say, I still mowed. That person needs to give me something. That person needs to make things right with me. Can you, can you feel the insanity of this number? That Jesus is specifically teaching on, these, on this scale so that we get it through our minds and into our hearts. We got nothing to hold against anybody compared to what he has done for us. The master calls that servant in the text to account. He calls servant one to account. In short, the king reinstitutes the debt. He puts the debt back on the servant. And I'm not saying this morning that if you're struggling personally with unforgiveness, that God is like right there, ready to dump your sin load back on your shoulders. I am telling you that the principle in Scripture is, is that your forgiveness from God is connected to your forgiveness with others. And that we need to take that seriously. And we need to work on that. We need to bring that to the Lord. Let me say it to you this way. Can God's forgiveness really be said to be working in my life if I cannot give it away to other people? And I would say no. Jesus said it this way when he sent his disciples out. He said, freely you have received, so freely give. You got it for free, so you better give it for free is what Jesus said. And the proof of received forgiveness is always granted forgiveness. The proof of received forgiveness is always granted forgiveness. That when I am walking in the light, when I am walking in my redemption, my forgiveness for the $4.6 billion sin debt that God just wiped away and put on his son for me, the proof that I am truly walking in that light is that I am able to give the $9,000 forgiveness to somebody else. 
We are so tempted to hold on, though, to offense, to hold on to wounding, to hold on to roots of bitterness, despite being rescued from an impossible situation by God. And the only way forward, I'm almost finished, but the only way forward that I know of is to live consistently in the light of what he has done for me so that I have no longer the attention or desire to try to bring other people's wrongs to their attention. That I am so much focused on the mercy that God has poured out in my life personally that I will not have the energy to hold other people's sins against them because I am reveling in the goodness of God's mercy for me. And don't be confused or misled. Granting forgiveness does never erase what has happened. The scriptures do not say that the other debt, the debt that servant two owed servant one, was not real. It was very real. $9,000 is not nothing. Not, the, the passage is not suggesting that it's not nothing. It's suggesting that in light of what we have been forgiven of, we have no right to hold against someone else what they have done. But that doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean that what you or I have experienced, the pain, the, the hurt, the, the wounding, the abuse, the neglect, whatever it is that we have walked through life and experienced at the hands of others, it is legitimate. It did happen. It is real. It is important and it is seen by God. Yet, compared to what God has done for us, it is much smaller. Offering forgiveness to another doesn't deny the reality of our own pain. Please hear me on this. When we forgive another person, it doesn't say, I was not hurt. That's not what forgiveness is about. Rather, it asserts that I will not be controlled by my pain. I will not be controlled by my hurt. I will not be controlled by bitterness. I will not let that have dominion over me, but rather, I will be like my father, the king, who forgave the unworthy. We receive forgiveness, and we pass it on. Sarah, would you come? And David, would you uh, help me out here? We're going to um, do something a little different this morning as a way of responding and praying at the end. We're going to be taking a special offering don't worry, it's not a money offering. Um, it is an offering of forgiveness. And so David's going to be handing out right here some quarter pieces of paper. If you uh, have a pen, great. If you don't, we have pens for you as well. Just hold on to that, and I'll tell you what to do with it in just a second. And if you're one of those blessed people that came to two services, you get to do this twice. So I'll just let you get your paper. And then we'll move forward together. have ever felt stuck in your walk with Jesus, what we're about to do, if, to, if undertaken in faith, will move you out. It will unstick you. There's something about giving forgiveness away, especially when someone doesn't deserve it. It's like a special, special level of touch from God. When someone doesn't deserve it, when they don't even ask for it, and we say, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care if I ever get the nine grand back. There's something about that that moves us forward 
Forgiving the unforgivable is the, is the foolproof way, is the, is, the, is the surefire way to jumpstart your growth, to move forward, to get unstuck. Spiritually mature people, I said it earlier, spiritually mature people consistently recognize unforgiveness in themselves and they deal with it. They are consistently broken by God's grace crushed inside by his mercy for them and therefore they're able to pardon others freely. There are people that live in breakthrough and that's what I want for us. So my question is, before you write anything down this morning, my question is this. Who owes you $9,000? Some of you are thinking, well, there's a whole line of people and they owe me more than nine. I get it. I'm tracking with you. I'm not minimizing what you've gone through. But I want you to pick one this morning one person, one situation, one, one circumstance, one thing that happened that is just, and here's the way I would describe it. The thing that you've been thinking of since the beginning of this message when I started talking about forgiveness, that's the thing. Because the Holy Spirit was already preparing you for this moment. I want you to write that down in a moment. Don't do it yet. But I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to write your name on there. And I don't want you to write their name on there. I want you to write what you're forgiving. What the situation was what the circumstance, what the offense was, where that root of bitterness is, is there. I want you to just take a sentence or so and write that down. That's what you're forgiving. It really doesn't matter the person. It won't be the last time someone hurts you. But we're going to take this moment and say, Lord, this is my offering to you this morning. I'm giving back to you an example of what you have done for me. I am letting this go. As a matter of fact, Jesus takes this sin as well. That's how it's paid for you're in Christ and you're able to say, I let that go. I'm going to be like my father. He goes on the son. Take a moment right now. I'm going to pray for you, but take a moment. Just write down a sentence or two, and then I'll tell you what to do with the paper. Lord, thank you for your spirit's work, even preparing us for this moment. Lord, we, we do not minimize the $9,000. Instead, we recognize, and through our forgiveness, we recognize that it's real, but we choose to let it go. We are not going to try to collect. We are not going to try to choke. We're not throwing anybody in jail. We are going to stay free ourselves. Lord, we recognize that when we try to put other people in jail, we end up there ourselves, just like in the story. So we're not doing that. We're letting this go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you write that down? Just a sentence or two on your paper. When you're finished, just fold it once, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do. finish and you fold that in half, would you stand? I want to say one more thing to you before we, before we collect your offering. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You, you and I do not have to feel like forgiving someone to forgive them. As a matter of fact, if you wait to feel like forgiving someone, you may never forgive them. Because the nature of offense is such that it grows over time. It deepens. That's why it's a root of bitterness. It keeps going down. It keeps going up. We keep growing in that thing. So if you wait till you feel like it, 
you're, you're probably not going to do it. Here's the thing. You don't have to feel like forgiving someone to forgive them. That's where it's a faith and obedience thing. It's a surrender thing to the Lord. I encourage you, let this thing go. Not because you feel like, you know, you're feeling really benevolent this morning towards this person that hurt you or this situation that unfolded. That's not likely to be the case. You're doing it based on faith. You're doing it in light of the 4.64 billion. And you're saying, I got nothing more. I'm not holding on to anything. I'm letting this go. I'm letting it go. David and, and helpers, can you begin to collect those right now? Here's what we're gonna do with those. I don't want you to destroy them. If we were at summer camp, we'd all bring them up here and throw them in the fire but we don't have fire. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to take all these, as long as there's no names on them, and we're going to write a big, huge list. And we're going to celebrate what God did in setting us free as we chose to walk in obedience to his example to forgive even those who are unworthy of forgiveness. We're going to make a nice long list. I don't know if we're going to do the list yet, but we're going to celebrate it because that's what his grace enables us to do, to be free. Would you close your eyes and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this just singular moment, Lord, where we are choosing to do something, a radical, otherworldish act of faith, a supernatural act of faith to forgive someone who was unworthy of forgiveness. Maybe even someone who hasn't even sought our forgiveness. They don't, they're not saying have patience. They don't care. Lord, thank you that you brought us to this holy moment where we can say, we let that go. We thank you that Jesus could absorb that pain too. We thank you, Lord, this morning that we stay out of jail because we're not trying to collect. We stay free. We stay in that moment of, of glorious peace because we're no longer expecting someone else to, to pay up. Lord, we take time to say thank you that that scrolling sin debt that just is constantly accumulating is under the blood of Jesus. We sang about it this morning. And so we are free and remain free. We receive your grace. We receive your kindness. We receive your forgiveness. And we thank you for being so good to us, Lord. May we be good like that to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I want to bless you before you go. Grace Church family, may you be blessed as you trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Grace family, in every one of your ways, acknowledge him. He's going to direct your paths, make them straight. In Jesus' name be blessed, amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.